You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. great to be back. First, I got to say many thanks to our DS, Nate Howard, for coming and sharing 25th anniversary celebration, filling the pulpit. And then I don't see Josh. I know he's here, but okay. Josh filled in the pulpit, preached for me last week. I heard many good things and I wanted to thank him too. When you see him, will you pass that on? Make sure he knows that I thanked him from up here. And so at this time, right off the bat, would you stand with me now that you finally got settled? Keep you awake. Deb Fry, if you'll come. Deb's going to read Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. We're going to pay attention. We're going to give God honor and glory for his word. Is this on? Yes. The apostles and the believers all through Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received God's word. Peter went up to Jerusalem. There are Jewish believers found fault with him. They said, you went into the house of Gentiles. You ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, he said. There I had a vision. I saw something that looked like a large sheet. It was being led down from heaven by its four corners. It came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth. There were also wild animals, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice speaking to me. Get up, Peter, the voice said, kill and eat. I replied, no, Lord, I will not. Nothing in that, nothing that is not pure and clean has ever entered my mouth. A second time, the voice spoke from heaven. The voice said, do not say anything is not pure that God has made clean. This happened three times, then the sheet was pulled up into heaven. Just then, three men stopped at the house where I was staying. They had been sent to me from Syria. The Holy Spirit told me not to let anything keep me from going with them. These six brothers here went with me. We entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house. The angel said, send to Joppa for Simon Peter. He has a message to bring to you. You and your whole family will be saved through it. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. He came just as had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered the Lord's words. John baptized with water, he said, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. God gave them the same gift he gave those of us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So who who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they didn't object anymore. They praised God. They said, so then, God has allowed even the Gentiles to turn away from their sins. He did this so that they could live. Thanks, Deb. You may be seated. So shall we learn something together today? And should we hear from God today? And actually, that should have been reversed because the second is the most important. We hear from God, and then we learn something. So I want to try and give some explanation to these verses, this passage, verses 1 through 18, and then I want to make a relevant application. And the relevant application is probably the most important thing today, 
and it comes near the end. And I could probably just give you the application and we could go home. But I'm going to take 40 minutes to get to the application, so settle in. There's a title to this message, and it's called The Final Scene. It's descriptive of what we've been looking at the last few weeks. Now, we have to go back. Josh preached last week, or DS the week before. Then we spoke about Acts three weeks ago. And this title is descriptive of that passage, that, what we were looking at in, in Acts chapter 10. It's the conversion of Cornelius and his household. If we would look at Acts chapter 10 as a play, today's text, chapter 11, 1 through 18, would be the final scene. Be the final scene of the play. The last act before we move on to other things. Acts 11, the first part of the verse. That's when you see a 1A, it means the first part. You see a 1B, that means the second phrase or the second part. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea. Other believers in Judea. They were the believers back at base camp. That was the church in Jerusalem. The news got to Jerusalem before Peter did. The news got back there before Peter got back there. Well, what news got back there? That the Gentiles had received the word of God. The news of the conversion of Cornelius and his household, and when we say household, we're talking about much more than a nuclear family. In those days, a household included family members, any servants that you had. He was a captain of the guard, so it included his soldiers, neighbors, and friends that were close to them. So Cornelius and his household was quite a number of folks. They all came to faith in Christ. They experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were then baptized with water. And if you're here and you've come to know the Lord and you haven't been baptized in water yet, please let me know. We're scheduling a baptism. If you're here and you may have professed Christ for quite a while, but all of a sudden there's a renewed commitment. Things are new. Understanding's new. You're more on fire and you want to be baptized? See me. That would be a good move. So remember what happened actually back in Acts chapter 10. Peter was bringing the message to Cornelius. And as he was giving them the message, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who were with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Then Peter gave orders for them to be baptized, that's water baptism, in the name of Jesus Christ. The news they received back in the Jerusalem church was that the gospel had now penetrated the Gentile world. Gentiles were being saved. Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ, experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being water baptized. Cornelius and the gang, now see, they were full-fledged Gentiles. They were God-fearers, but they were Gentiles. They had never converted to Judaism. And yet they had experienced faith in Christ. Converted to Judaism means they had never become Jewish. They had never taken those steps to become Jewish. They remained Gentiles. But now they've come to faith in Christ. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Water baptism. Amazing, right? Can I get an amen out of that? Amen. Amazing. The gospel is spreading. People are getting saved. The Holy Spirit is moving. Kind of like what's happening here today. 
Kind of like what's going to happen on October 23rd. And although that's a great event, we're not putting all of our stock and trust in that event. We're definitely not putting any trust in Sean Foyk, although God's using him mightily. We're putting our trust in what God is doing. That's going to be not an end, but a beginning. That's going to be a pebble in the pond, and the ripples are going to go out. And this church is going to be in the middle of those ripples. Pretty cool. That's what was happening here in Acts 8. Holy Spirit was branching out, taking it to a different people group. Not that this was the first Gentile person ever to convert to Christ. If you remember in the Gospels, there was the lady who reached out and and touched uh, the Lord's garments and was healed of a blood issue. And then there was the Ethiopian government official. They were both Gentiles, but they were individuals, God-fearers, who put faith in Christ. This is the first time any significant number of Gentiles had come to faith in Christ. This was the first corporate salvation experience with the accompanying of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Neither the woman with the issue of blood who got healed nor the Ethiopian government official experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Although the Ethiopian government official was water baptized. At least it doesn't mention it in Scripture. Here's the implication. The gospel of Christ was now spreading to the Gentiles. Now, wouldn't that be great news to receive? If we got word back at this church that two of our missionaries or our missionaries, all of a sudden a field in Africa, China, somewhere opened up to them and people were coming to the Lord in droves, how would we respond to that? We'd say, that's awesome news. We'd rejoice. We'd pray. Maybe we'd even give. Maybe we'd even give. Sorry. So that'd be great news to receive. That'd be great reason to rejoice. The church in Jerusalem, they should be overjoyed. Heaven was. Scripture says all heaven rejoices when a a lost soul comes to know Christ. Heaven was rejoicing. So should the Jerusalem church be rejoicing. But... When Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles. Why, you even ate with them, they said. Uh, wait, what? Not the reaction you would expect from Christ followers. Is that right? Boy, it's not getting many, much response out there. Are you with me today? That's not actually the response you would expect from Christ followers. And yet I have to be honest with you, throughout my many years as a Christian... When I would tell somebody, a Christian, that maybe I had this witness or maybe somebody came to know the Lord and I expected this, this excited reaction, I just kind of got like a, like they don't really care. And if you don't really care about that, what do you care about? Why are you a Christian? That's the best news you can hear. Somebody else has come to know Christ. Where's the excitement? And as we're going to see, where's the reception? They criticized him. Why, you even entered their homes. And 
You even ate with them, Peter. See, the news had gotten back ahead of him, and they had prepared themselves for a fight. You say, that would never happen in the church today. Criticize means to contend with. They disputed with Peter. They argued with him. They doubted him. They threw suspicion on his report. They tried to make him look bad. Doesn't it hurt when your good is spoken evil of? They gave him a hard time. This was a huge issue for them. For many reasons, which we don't have time to get into here, this was a huge issue for the believers back in Jerusalem. So I have a now, N-O-W, and a but, B-U-T. And this is the now. Now we can grant them some slack, the believers in the church in Jerusalem, because these believers were Jewish raised. They were synagogue educated. They were converts to Christ themselves, some probably very recent. Their Jewish law and their Jewish belief system did not allow for Gentiles to come into salvation. That just did not compute. They, they couldn't grasp that. They were, this was unthinkable to them. The only way a Gentile could could find salvation was to become a Jew, to go through the procedure, the rites, to become a Jew. Then they could receive salvation. You couldn't receive salvation as a Gentile in their mindset. So that's the now. Let's cut them some slack. They still shouldn't have argued and all of that, right? But let's cut them some slack for their belief system. But they still should have known better because especially those who were further along in their faith. They should have known better because Jesus commanded that this would happen, and he predicted that this would happen. He came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of who? All nations, not just the Jewish nation. All the nations. And not the corporate government structure of nations, but individuals which composed that nation. The Greek word here for nation is ethnos. What do you think we, what English word do you think we get from ethnos? Ethnic, ethnicity. Yes, people group. Individuals within that people group. Go and make disciples. Go and make followers of Jesus. Of individuals from all the different various people groups in the world. Help them to come to know me. Then teach them about me. Are you with me still? So the believers in the Jerusalem church should not have been surprised at what happened with Peter. How God had used Peter to open the door for gospel ministry to the Gentiles. Evangelism to the Gentiles. Actually, the last thing Jesus said to them before departing earth for glory was this very thing. Go and make disciples of the nations. We have it again in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. 
Everywhere means everywhere. You don't have to dig into the Greek word to understand that. Even Washington Borough. Then Jesus breaks it down. It's going to begin at Jerusalem. The Jews. Yes, it's going to begin here. Salvation is going to come to the Jews. Judea and Samaria, that's a cross-cultural mindset. They're Jewish, sort of, but from intermarriage, there was this huge mixture with other nations, with people groups. Can I use almost an incorrect word? But they were half-breeds. These were people looked down upon. They were outcast. They were downtrodden. In the Jewish eyes, no respect for the Samaritans. The Samaritans did not adhere strictly to Jewish law and customs. Remember, Philip was evangelizing them after the persecution, and he went down into that area, and they were coming to the Lord in droves, and Peter had to go there, too, and make sure that they were going to be accepted, that they were not second-class citizens to the Jewish Christians. Peter had this, like, cutting-edge role that God gave him that really wasn't a pleasant one. And then, of course, the ends of the earth. It's a clear reference to the Gentile nations and Gentile regions, the remaining nations of the world spread across the globe. So surely the Jerusalem church, awaiting Peter's return, they should have known this teaching of Jesus. The last thing said is often the first thing remembered, and this was the last thing said, but it wasn't being remembered. There was too much pride, and we're going to move towards an application shortly. There was too much pride in who they were. To accept the Gentiles. Keep that in mind. There was too much pride in their heritage and their law and their traditions and who they were to accept the Gentiles. So when Peter arrives back in Jerusalem, he has some explaining to do. Now, there was a long passage in there. Deb, thank you for reading. You did a great job. Um, and it says, Peter told them exactly what happened. We're not going to cover all those verses. We're not going to cover that story again. We already did cover it in Acts chapter 10. All we want to know right now is Peter told them exactly what happened. So Peter's response was when they attacked him was simply to explain to them, here's what happened. Here's the facts. Facts are stubborn things, you know. It was kind of like giving a testimony. I'm not even going to argue with you. I'm not going to stoop to that. I'm going to tell you what happened, kind of like our DS. This is who I was. This is who I am. Jesus did it. Are you interested? That's what Peter's going to do. Just straightforward. Here's what happened. Here's what I did. Here's what God did. Here's what the Holy Spirit did. And very brilliant on Peter's part. Holy Spirit leading, I'm sure. He took six believers with him when he went to Cornelius's, so he had six witnesses to say, Peter's telling you the truth. Simply the facts, now it's between you and the Lord. So let's look at their response to Peter's testimony. When they heard this, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and they began praising God. 
They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. The response is good, but it's probably not quite as good as this makes it seem. The Greek phrase here that's translated, they stopped objecting in the NLT, is better rendered, they kept silent. A huge difference here. They stopped objecting versus they kept silent or they held their tongues, which is, in essence, they did stop objecting. But stopping objecting implies that they came into agreement with Peter. They came into agreement with what happened when actually it's more they just stopped arguing because they couldn't refute the facts. They hadn't changed their minds. They just stopped arguing because here was the facts and here was six guys witnessing to it. To it. This, is what God did. this is what God did. Do we want to get ourselves in trouble with God possibly? But there wasn't really any mindset or heart change. They just stopped arguing with him. Rest assured or be assured that Jerusalem Jewish believers will again bring this issue up later in Acts. And this group here is going to become a thorn in the side of the Apostle Paul later as he begins his ministry to the Gentiles and they follow him around and persecute him and try and kill him. They're not done. They just don't have anything to say right now. Do you get what it's saying? Do you get what I'm saying? But at least for now, enough of them were satisfied with the facts. Then they began to praise God. They put it behind them for now. And they were willing to recognize that Gentiles were now a part of this. So that's the interpretation. That's the exegesis of this passage Deb read for us. Now for the application. The application is simple. The harvest is at the door. The harvest is at the door. Think about that. God has been speaking to us a lot recently about coming revival, coming awakening, coming harvest. Many of us are believing him for it. The hammer of his word has been smashing into the rock of our unbelief, and he's breaking it down, and we're actually beginning to believe for it. And you know, in the, in the natural realm... Seeing is believing. You know, when I see it, I'll believe it. In the spiritual realm, believing is seeing. The more you believe, the more you see. Faith, it's all faith. Right, Josh? It's all faith. Believing is seeing. And the more we believe, the more we're going to see. And the things that are are happening these days are not happening by coincidence. They're happening happening because we're beginning to choose to believe. And the more we choose to believe, the more you're going to see happen. And it's an upward spiral instead of a downward spiral. Sean Foyt is not coming two miles from our church by any kind of coincidence. Are you kidding me? 
I remember when I first saw what he was doing, starting at the Golden Gate Bridge and through the cities, and I just remember saying, Lord, I would love to be involved in that in some way. I would love to have that kind of a thing, but there's just no way that could ever happen, right, Lord? Now he's coming in October, two miles from our church. Again, we're not exalting him. God will use anybody that's willing, including you and me. He just happens to be the guy that was willing and God's using him. But we're going to benefit from that. Repeatedly, God has given me this word, especially when I would say, I'd really like to be doing that. I'd like to be out there involved in that. That's where God's working, cutting edge. People are getting saved. They're getting healed. They're getting delivered. Things are changing. And I'd bring that to the Lord, and he'd say, shepherd your flock. Prepare this church for the coming move of God. Prepare this church for the coming harvest. And I'd say, okay. That's what I've been called to do, to shepherd you guys, and we have elders who are doing a great job of that, and to prepare you week after week, month after month, for this coming move of God, for this coming revival, this coming harvest that is now at the door. I'm telling you, it's at the door. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up. Wake up, church. Look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. There will be very little time in the near future between planting and sowing, between seeding and harvest. In fact, it may be simultaneous. Whereas we would talk to somebody about the Lord and then we might have to pray for who knows how long and others would talk to him and then possibly they'd come. It's not going to be like that anymore. You'll be talking to someone and they're ready to say, "How? what must I do to be saved? Not because we've done anything different, but because God's Spirit's moving in these days. They're going to come to you. Now we have to go out and look for them, and we will still do some of that. But God's going to bring them to you. What he's asking you to do is be ready and be willing, be available. He's not really even asking you to go get a theology degree. He's just asking you to be available, yield your life to him, and he's going to use you and me in this harvest. I believe this will be fulfilled, actually is being fulfilled in these days in which we are living, this verse. Again, going back to the Sean Foyk thing, he advertises as a worship concert. Let us worship. And yet so many people are coming there and getting saved. People are coming there with addictions and throwing their drugs up on the stage. People are coming there and getting baptized. He's just doing what God called him to do, but the Holy Spirit's taking care of the rest. You don't know who's going to show up out here. And that's where the application, the rubber meets the road for us today. You don't know who. 
The fields around us are ripe for harvest. The harvest is upon us. But the harvest can be very challenging. Word of warning. Know this. The harvest can be very challenging. We will be stretched and we will be challenged when that harvest begins to come in. Somebody might even sit in your pew. Can't guarantee you'll get your pew. That's right, Steve. In our text today, we saw how the Jerusalem church struggled with the harvest of the Gentiles. They were fine with people getting saved, or somewhat fine at least, when the new believers were law-abiding good Jewish citizens, when they were the same ethnic group, when for the most part they thought and acted and behaved like they did. Welcome, my brother. What happens when the Holy Spirit brings folks who look, act, and think differently than we do? How will we receive them when they come to Christ and they come in those back doors and we're called to disciple and make mature followers of Christ out of them? Will we rejoice with the angel in angels in heaven when we see them walking in or will we criticize? Will we judge harshly? Will we shun? Will we be suspicious? Will we look down our noses? They don't look like us. They don't think like us. They don't act like us. Now, I'm not talking about ever compromising biblical truth. And I'm not talking about ever changing the definition of sin just to accommodate folks who come to Jesus. It's not what I'm talking about. Oh, we want you to come in so bad that behavior is okay. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about, especially initially, as folks are just getting saved, they need room to grow. They need room to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need discipled. That's going to be key in this move of God, and that's a role God's going to give this church, to disciple new believers. We need to start thinking about that. As elders, we already have, but we need to start thinking about that. You know, you weren't really all that pretty and had it together when you first came to know Jesus. And we put up with you. And the church put up with me. When I got saved, I was just coming out of the hippie movement. I had hair down to here. I had this big beard. And for some reason, we went to this very conservative, legalistic church in Elizabethtown. And I went walking in there with a chip on my shoulder. Because I thought, you know, I, they were the people that I was against in my hippie philosophy. It was either the first or the second week we were there. Janet and Sherwood invited us over. About the most conservative-looking couple. She had been Mennonite. They invited us over for a meal with me looking the way I did and thinking the way I did. With all my hippie leftist philosophy. And they just welcomed us and loved us broke down every barrier that I had because I expected a fight. I expected them to tell me they didn't like my type and boot me out of there. They received me with open arms. They loved me. And through that, God began to change me. 
They didn't even try and change me. Can you believe that? God began to change me through their love and then through teaching that I got there. The Holy Spirit is going to bring us folks who are very much corrupted. They're very much damaged by the world, the flesh, and the devil. But whom he was able to convict of their sin. And whom he was able to convince that there's a better way to trust in Jesus and be saved. He's going to bring those folks to us. And we need to remember this. People do not have to become something else before they come to Jesus. People do not have to clean up their act before they come to Jesus. You come to Jesus just as you are. He cleans up your act. See, he cares for you just as you are. That's why he's saving you. We come to Christ just as we are. He accepts us just as we are. And here's the challenge. And it's coming because the harvest is at the door. How will we receive the harvest of lost souls God is about to bring to Columbia Christian Fellowship? Hopefully better than the Jerusalem church received the Gentiles or Peter's word that Gentiles were getting saved. Will you stand with me? And Brandon, if you'll come and pray. Sonny, whatever you have in mind for closing worship. Wait till everybody's settled, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you accepted me as I was. I can definitely relate somewhat to where Pastor Hub was when he got saved in, in movements or in beliefs. And, and this church, these people who, came, who are here accepted me and loved me. But you accepted and loved me first, Lord. I thank you that you take us where we are. And you gently, gently work on us, mold us into who you want us to be, not just to be someone different, but because you have plans for us. You have missions for us. We're soldiers in your army, and good soldiers don't just stay the way that they are from the time that they signed up. They train, they, they do exercises, they work on their weapons, they, they get familiar with their weapons. We're an army for you, Father, and recruitment is totally free and welcome. Help us to be, help us to be who you want us to be. Help us to walk in that, Lord. Help us to realize that we have no other purpose except that. We have no other purpose here, no other purpose than to serve you as obedient slaves. That's what your word says the word to be. You are king. We call you king. We need to act like that. And the reward is so incredible. It can't compare with anything this world has to offer. Being a part of praying, praying for someone to receive you into their hearts, being a part of praying for people to be healed of cancer, of diseases, of illnesses, being a part of lives going from complete death and destruction to life abundantly is doesn't compare with anything that this world has to offer being a part of your kingdom building work is why we're here and it's so honoring to be a part of that father 
Help us to get on board even more if we are, Father. Give us that strength to move forward in that, Lord. Thank you so much for counting us worthy, for not giving up on us when we thought differently for a little bit or, or dressed differently. You never give up and you never will, and we praise you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.